Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. Oh, our, uh, let's kick it. Okay. Yeah, we can <laughs> kick it. We can spinning kick off of Japan into Okinawa, but on rocks. Yes. Beautiful. I am I am one with the Zen garden and the flying single kick. <laughs> no, not a lot of karate in this movie. It's really that's that one kick that's used in the trailer <laughs> and on the poster. <laughs> Friends, we are talking about a doozy of a movie today, but one that I feel weirdly passionate and defensive about for a lot of reasons. Harmony, what movie is this? Okay, so I have a very good reason for why I picked this, but I want to preface this by saying that this is the worst reviewed film on Rotten Tomatoes that we have ever covered on the podcast. Which personally, I think is horseshit. We have watched way worse movies. I agree, but sitting at a resounding 7% on that slightly broken film metric, we have 1994's The Next Karate Kid. And fortunately for us, we are not alone because if we're going to talk about a martial arts movie, like we need somebody who knows what they're talking about. I am not that human being. Harmony is kind of that human being. No, don't give me that credit. (laughs) But we needed somebody who really knows some good shit. So joining us today is the co-host of the Kicking and Screaming podcast, an actual human fighter, and just... You know, kind of a really fucking wonderful dude. We have Elijah Taylor here with us today. Hi, Elijah. Hi. Oh, my God. Thank you for that introduction. You're Uh, very welcome. Some of that is accurate. I do host (laughs) a podcast. Uh, I I am human. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And thus, we have completed the kicking and screaming This Ends at Prom Circle, where everyone has guested on each other's podcasts. Oh, my God. That's true. Y'all have both been on ours. Vanessa was on this earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah, we finally did it. I didn't even realize that. It's yeah. beautiful. It's it's almost like, I don't know, some some sort of Mr. Miyagi thing about completing a circle to make it whole. <laughs> yeah, there's some kind of harmonious balance that like at some clutch moment in the future, one of us will be in a fight and we'll remember that time we were all on each other's podcast and be like, <laughs> yes, spinning back kick somehow. I, <laughs> the yes. skill translates to I a will move. remember what I learned from Turkish... Captain America. <laughs> I remember That's what right. I learned from Three Ninjas and The Witches, <laughs> and I'm sure Vanessa remembers what she learned from Sydney White. That's Vanessa's episode for those who want to go back and listen. <laughs> she definitely remembers all of her lessons, <laughs> and they somehow translate to martial arts. <laughs> so, Elijah, we're talking about The Next Karate Kid, a movie that a lot of people don't know actually exists. 
No, I was talking to my coworkers about the next Karate Kid today, and they went, oh, they're making a new one? And I went, no, that's just what it's called. <laughs> I mean, it is like kind of a kind of a mistake of a, of a title I think it's a, it's a regrettable title because yes. anytime like it doesn't hold up outside of the very specific context of its release anytime you're talking about the next karate kid you're like is is that part two is it one they're making now is it a reboot yeah it's not it, not it a great dates title. it in a really weird way that would assume that the franchise would not continue on yeah it doesn't help yeah. the fact that cobra kai exists and is awesome so if somebody yeah. was like oh they're making another karate kid movie people would be like that tracks that makes sense in this world right right yeah and i mean also cobra kai does feature multiple kids who themselves are kind of the next karate kids so that's true <laughs> yeah. that's very very true but Elijah, if you had to tell somebody what the next Karate Kid was about, uh, what what is this movie? Okay, well, I mean, honestly, uh, despite you know what I what I've just said about it being a regrettable title, uh, it's all right there in the title. If you've seen the Karate Kid, the, this is the next one in the cycle, which <laughs> I guess we are led to believe by the franchise is an unending cycle of Karate Kids. Uh, but no, uh, Pat Morita playing Mr. Miyagi, uh, who of course taught uh daniel larusso karate so that he could stand up to bullies and uh, gain some self-confidence and be a cool little scrappy kid uh has has moved on to the next child that he is now passing uh miyagi-do karate on to and also uh you know helping them with the struggles of their lives uh the the child in question is uh julie i believe julie B- pierce julie pierce pierce there you go sorry i'm t- terrible at remembering names i literally watched it uh an hour before this recording <laughs> and i'm like yeah you know the the character who does I mean, the if you moves. just want to call her hillary swank for the whole episode like I, that's I, probably I what's gonna happen just, yeah it's <laughs> yeah. much easier to remember hillary swank. that's what i'm gonna do with michael ironside it's fine yeah <laughs> and uh not that i imagine we'll talk about his character a lot but walton goggins uh you yeah. know in case it comes up uh because he's there because <laughs> he's there which is it's one of those things that he shows up and you go oh hey <laughs> he's there uh but yeah hillary swank uh is a uh, an unfortunately uh, orphaned uh, high school child. Uh, her parents, having both uh, died in a car accident sometime before the you know beginning of the film, uh, Mr. Miyagi is an old friend of her grandfather. They served in a uh, World War II together and were both legendary soldiers. We learn in the <laughs> intro, <laughs> which it is pretty great. I don't think they're given any uh, specific. Like, nothing specific is attributed to them. It's not like, oh, they had such and such merits and distinctions. They accomplished whatever. That's just legendary soldiers. We don't want to define the ways with which Mr. Miyagi yeah. murdered people. No, because he I'm... killed some crowds. Like, I, he killed fitty men. Yeah, no, he definitely killed fitty men. Uh, no, that, he, he is uh, given the distinction of being a legendary hero. I think he won a Medal of Honor. Uh, there, there is a line in which uh, they're much later when they're at a, a Buddhist uh, temple, they're uh, training with some monks, and he talks about how uh, all life is sacred within the walls of this temple. They don't kill bugs. And she's like, oh, you've definitely killed a cockroach. And he has a line that's like, I don't live at a monastery, but mm-hmm. I do have respect for all life. And I feel like in that one line, you're like, Miyagi has killed a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's done a lot of dirt. He's like, he's like, yeah, I don't live at a monastery. My hands aren't clean. Uh, I love it so much. He's so good. But uh, yeah, so she is uh, a teenager who is dealing with grief in, uh, you know, the way that teenagers do, which is to say not always uh, healthiest because you don't really have 
the emotional tools to understand what you're feeling or how to process it. Uh, her grandmother is raising her. There's a lot of friction between the two. They fight all the time and both really have trouble like expressing what they're uh, trying to express to each other, like, uh, you know, communicating their feelings. So it's just a lot of uh, unchecked uh, emotion and escalation. Uh, Mr. Miyagi sees this and basically kind of kind of tags her out. He's like, hey, grandma, uh, go go chill in California for a bit. You stay at my place. Uh, just Airbnb it to you. I'm 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 gonna go ahead and just raise your granddaughter, uh, for for you know just uh just as long as it takes to teach her karate, but also uh get her through some of this, and we never see grandma again. We never see her again, <laughs> and it feels like I don't think there's even like the implication that she is missed by Julie. Like Hillary Swank ju- does not look back. She no. gets the new the new grandpa, and she's like, this one's better. It's an upgrade. <laughs> I mean, fair. I also yeah. love that Miyagi tells her, like, you need to grow flowers. And she's like, what are you talking about, you crazy old man? And he's like, I'm not talking about these ones in my hands. I mean the ones back at my place. And he essentially is like, go garden my shit. Let me raise your kid because you're <laughs> sucking at this. I, I like to imagine that, like, well, Hillary Swank was going on this journey of, like, processing grief and, like, learning about herself and, uh, you know, standing up for herself and such. Her grandmother was taking care of flowers and like through this sort of like Zen meditative gardening experience also learned a valuable lesson. I, I like to think that Miyagi <laughs> somehow like fixed both of their their lives in this in one swoop. And she the grandma came back and was like, hey, I learned about feelings. Um, <laughs> I learned how to communicate and not yell at you and tell you that you're a mistake. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, she she had like a separate eat, pray, love that we just don't get to see. Uh, but yeah, Julie uh, starts, uh, you know, there's friction with Miyagi at first, but he, he gets through to her. She learns some karate and uh, also maybe most importantly, learns how to defend herself from the actual psychopaths that she goes to school with. <laughs> oh, the school Nazis are a lot, aren't they? They are rough. Also, this movie has uh, aged like fine wine. I will say a lot of things that maybe felt uh, ridiculous or over the top or kind of silly at the time in that very like late 80s, early 90s kind of way. Now it just feels like, oh, yeah, no, those those guys are real. We, uh, um, we know them. <laughs> Yeah, so so what you're saying is like this group of men who probably have red laces in their boots. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. They're 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 re- they're kind of really like rapey, huh? Oh yeah. No, yeah. that uh, th- that white supremacist uh militia at the high school is definitely overtly rapey. <laughs> it's like kind of wild we're because it's been a while since i've watched this but i remember really really enjoying it and recently because you know i write about movies for a living so when they announced that terry silver was coming back for cobra kai i rewatched karate kid 3 and i was like this movie is dog shit and anybody who thinks that the next (laughs) karate kid is the worst movie is sorely mistaken and then re-watching the next karate kid for this i was like i really like that the message of the original karate kid movies is essentially like i'm going to teach you how to stand up for yourself in the face of bullies and the next karate kid's message is i'm going to teach you to defend yourself in the face of literally every man on the planet because you don't get the luxury to only worry about bullies it could come from anywhere at any time, like this giant sack of rice being thrown from the ceiling of a barn. Like, <laughs> yes. it's everywhere. And it's one of those things where it's like, wow, Miyagi's really just about to teach women self-defense class. Well, something that I think is interesting is that the training, literally, like, the, the choreography and the training montages are 
very different between what Daniel LaRusso is taught and what Hilary Swank is taught. And it really does speak to like the wisdom of this instructor. He taught LaRusso how to do point karate fighting in an organized tournament. Point uh-huh. karate fighting is very different from like self-defense or just like a random violent encounter. And, you know, he's teaching like LaRusso is like, yeah, wax on, wax off, paint fence. Here's some little defenses that you do against other karate punches that will be thrown. And even like, you know, the rhythm of the fight with Johnny Lawrence, it's like one of them gets hit. A point is scored. The action is stopped for a second while they kind of reset and the ref holds a hand up like oh, Cobra Kai scored a point. But like it's it's a very different kind of training, competing and conditioning. When he's when he's teaching Hillary Swank outside of the rock thing where it's like jump from this rock and do this cool kick, which is kind of just a just a cool move that he's teaching her that is not really disguised as anything else like wax on wax off. It's like fake a front kick and then throw a round kick, which is Mm -hmm. legitimate. Everything else is like he's holding mitts for her and just teaching her like basic striking and head movement and defense. And they're all like everything in her training sequence is just how you would train like boxing kickboxing mma whatever he's just like yeah learn to punch and kick because you're gonna have to fight men (laughs) 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 he he fully approaches it differently it's not like yeah this is you know you got to learn your your balance and your inner whatever it's like no learn learn to kick guys in the neck because some (laughs) men need to be kicked in the neck unfortunately uh so as someone who has not seen the second or third Karate Kids movies, I did do research and most of the criticisms I saw about, uh, in BJ's words, the dog shit third one, <laughs> is that it's like, this is really derivative of Karate Kid 1 and 2. And this one is so wholly not, this is entirely its own thing in a really cool way, like, because of that. Absolutely. And before we really dive into the nitty gritty meat of the next Karate Kid, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. Alrighty, so Harmony, we're in 1994. This is definitely before we get into peak teen movie dumb of 1999. Give us some context. What the hell is happening right now? Nothing. Oh, cool. Absolutely nothing is happening. (laughs) Trying to figure out the world in which the next Karate Kid exists after picking up where like the third one failed like five years earlier is impossible because there is such a tremendous void of teen girl content from this year. If you look up teen films from this year, you get a lot of kids movies like Mighty Ducks 2 and The Little Rascals. But like, you shouldn't be getting um, Crooklyn, a Spike Lee movie and Leon the Professional when you're looking up teen films from this year. I mean, teens are in it. (laughs) They are movies with teens. 
not teen <laughs> movies. Yeah, correct. Very much so. Like, the only other thing that's even close to what the next Karate Kid is, is My Girl 2. <laughs> like, I didn't so... even know that had a sequel. I didn't die. Did he come back to life? <laughs> no, he does not. We do not repossess bees. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wait, like, <laughs> My Girl 2, Candyman 3. yes i want that i would sign up for that like but but for real like the only thing that i guess would really define because okay julie has a very distinctive like early 90s teen angst of like gen x Uh uh-huh and the only thing even remotely similar to that is reality bites and they're like 26 yeah they're like out of college i mean in fairness everyone playing a high schooler in this appears to be about 26 it's true but also i learned that hillary swank was like 18 when they were making this ralph macchio was in his 20s comfortably in his 20s when he did the first karate kid yes because i was baby face man (laughs) right because i ended up looking up uh you know just what people had to say about this there's so much writing about this that's essentially this movie's awful like nobody is really defending it which is a real shame to me but somebody pointed out that the reason that they went in a completely different direction was because ralph macchio couldn't realistically play a teenager anymore Uh and we both were like that's weird how old was he in 1994 he was like 32 and we're like how old was he in the karate kid 23 he looks 12 what (laughs) that is wild especially because like the uh the romantic interest in the next karate kid uh in the the opening scene uh where when they introduce what is his name uh eric i believe Mm -hmm. Uh, the when they first showed him, I like turned to Vanessa and was like, "Yo, is that teacher hitting on Hillary Swank?" Like, I don't remember this subplot, but it feels uncomfortable. And she's like, "I think he's a student." He's he's a student who also looks like a relief player for the Chicago Bears. <laughs> These are high school students with like the thickest necks. <laughs> well, that's what happens when Michael Ironsides when making you run drills after school. Like, oh, for real though. So. Trying to figure out the world in which they would want to make a new Karate Kid so many years after the original. And, like, in a time when the 1980s are, like, kind of seen as the most uncool thing possible. The only reason I could, the only thing I can possibly point to for why they would make this movie is, hey, Ninja Turtles was made a lot of money. Hey, Three Ninjas made a lot of money. Fuck it. We'll make a girl movie with ninjas. And it did not cross over in the same way. And that is actually why I wanted to do this movie, despite never seeing it before. Um, this this was my first viewing of it. I wanted to do it because, by my research, this is the first franchise where Hollywood went, what if we take this primarily boy franchise, or like men franchise in some cases, and let's cast a girl and make it a very defined like teen girl movie? It's not like just copy and paste, like, oh, we wrote this script for Ralph Macchio, but he's in his 30s now, so we just threw Hillary Swank in. As interesting as that would be to see him handle, like, the waltzing subplot. (laughs) That's not the case. This is very much a teen girl film. Yes. I mean, it ends at prom. Yeah. Yeah. It's right there. (laughs) It has bungee diving high school Nazis. Which is uh, (laughs) extremely bizarre, by the way. Side note, I feel like they never quite explain what their goal was with the bungee jumping into prom <laughs> i don't think i don't, know I don't think anyone do i think michael ironside is probably like this will look cool you should do it and they were like all right we rented the gym this night i don't care if they have a dance schedule <laughs> yeah they they crash in and at the beginning of that scene i was like oh they're gonna like bust up the prom for some reason but they just like come down on bungee cords and then they're like ha ah, nice <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's their contribution <laughs> 
I mean, that feels like one of the most ninja movie things that you could get in like 1994, though. Oh, that's Random true. bungee jumping where it's like, your guy hurt his arm. I don't care. <laughs> that almost that almost feels like a producer was like, we need more stunts. Can you give me something? These these Ninja Turtles, they're doing flips. We got we got to have a big stunt in the third act. <laughs> kind of. That does. That's absolutely what it feels like, because this is not an action movie, which is why I think a lot of people who either reviewed the original Karate Kid or grew up with it even. And they're like, no, I'm 26 now and I review films. I think by the time they get to this movie, they're just like, yeah, where's the action? Where's the everything? I'm like, well, this movie isn't about action this movie is about personal growth there's more mm-hmm. things to karate which is like the whole point of what miyagi tries to teach people period mm-hmm. yeah no i i will say like i uh, th- this movie just in general has like aged very well for me because i uh this was like my first rewatch uh since i you know was an actual child uh but i remember even at the time thinking uh you know what it's got a better final fight than the original karate kid like by by a comfortable margin, I yeah. think. And so, like, as a kid, I was like, hey, the last fight scene in the next Karate Kid is better than any of the action in the original Karate Kid. Uh, but I think at the time, being very small was like, I'm going to keep that opinion to myself because <laughs> I'm going to get punched. <laughs> <laughs> what, you and, like the girl Karate Kid? Right. Uh, you know, and it, it was the 90s and I was uh, deeply closeted a uh, little, little queer baby who was just like yeah no i don't know karate's cool whatever <laughs> uh, but the entire time i'd maintain like yeah the the choreography is better uh and re-watching it that is absolutely true but i also think that just like the narrative characters and themes are better like i i i like miyagi much more uh i i feel like as a kid i viewed him as like uh you know as i think a lot of media kind of riffed on this archetype and a lot of us uh you know kind of took this away at the time he was this like quasi mystical karate man who you know yeah. he speaks in in riddles that will teach you the secrets of the universe because he's transcended to some higher realm of enlightened karate and yeah. watching this one i was like oh he's just a a man with empathy like literally like that's that's his superpower that's the the mysticism is that he's patient and empathetic so when yeah. people are talking to him he like listens and tries to understand what they're feeling and tries to like advise accordingly and i think he existed at a time when like tough guys in movies who knew karate and could fight uh were not that and we were like you know we were taught uh that men were not supposed to be that so it ended up feeling like this like oh he's very like woo woo and mystical and he has all these magical solutions and most of the time the solution is like hey try to like take a breath Think about what you're feeling. Like, let yourself feel it. Remind yourself that, like, the sun is still shining. The grass is still green. He, like, literally teaches her, like, meditation and self-soothing techniques to, like, regulate mm-hmm. her emotions while she's grieving. And, like, talks to the grandma and just, like, yeah, grief is difficult. She's going through a lot right now. You got to just, like, kind of make space for that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the mysticism. I'm, like, watching this movie, I'm like, yo, this is, this is fucking great. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I had that same feeling where I'm like, okay, so Mr. Miyagi always felt like, like this teacher who's like, ah, yes, I'm, I've ascended into like pure Zen. I, I've, I've, I've reached into this new world of enlightenment and that's fine. This Mr. Miyagi is not like a teacher. He's like a dad. Like he's humanized in this movie. Through his relationship with Julie, and I really love that for him. Yeah, I think, he's just I think a good parent. 
Yeah. I think there's something really beautiful, too, because this is, like you said, we kind of fall into this trope, especially with Mr. Miyagi. Like, Mr. Miyagi himself is a trope. Like, yeah. he is the trope. People refer to it as, like, oh, yeah, the Miyagi type. Like, he became the trope. Um, but when you see him having to interact with Julie, there are some missteps. Like, he walks into her room while she's changing, and she's like... What the hell, dude? You can't just do that. He's like, ah, oh, boys, boys are easier. And he even explains. He's like, oh, I used to live with, you know, my Daniel son, and like he, we just would come into each other's rooms, and like he apologizes because he's like, oh yeah, this is different. And then when we see him try to like, it's the cutest thing in the world, and I like want to die. But when he <laughs> he goes to pick out a dress for Julie for prom, and he's dealing with the dress saleswoman who's asking him all these questions, and you realize like, he, Mr. Miyagi is not this person who has an answer for everything he's just a guy who just has a nice empathetic way of thinking because he's like i don't know what any of this means i don't know what uh, she has a good back kick uh, she's you know not too tall but not too short she's she's not fat but she's she's not scrawny she's fit uh uh, like he doesn't know and you yeah. it's like this moment where you see him and you're like Mr. Miyagi doesn't know something yeah. because girls are a, a a mystery to him but like he treats Julie like a human and that's how he gets through to her is not as a girl but as a human mm-hmm. yes no it's uh, I, I feel like for as much as uh, it is a departure from the previous uh, Karate Kid movies in that like oh now it's a, a teen girl movie rather than you know like an adolescent boy movie uh, it also is kind of a parenting movie in the way, in a way that the others didn't really feel like. I know that like he has always been a patriarchal figure to Larusso, and you know that they explore that a lot in Cobra Kai as well. But I feel like he, even the themes of like uh, she's she's raising this bird with a broken wing, this hawk that she found, and she's nursing it back to health. Mm-hmm. And at the end, Mr. Miyagi being like, "Hey, it's it's time to let that hawk go." And she's like, oh, I don't think he's ready. And he's like, you let the hawk tell you when it's ready. Like, you mm-hmm. you let the bird tell you when it's time to leave the nest. It's it's not up to you. It's very much like, that's a message for parents. That's a message for, like, the adults watching it with their kids and being like, ah, fuck, Mr. Miyagi's right. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I want to believe that there are people who are maybe, like, 16 when they saw the Karate Kid or something. And now they're adults. And it's like, oh, I have, like, a four-year-old girl. What do I do? The Karate Kid's there for you. It's gotcha. And then instead they went, I don't like this. Yeah. It's got feelings. <laughs> Julie-san, friend Eric here. You can come in, Mr. Miyagi. I wish my parents could see this. Our parents watching. I still remember what you said to me at the monastery about keeping them in my heart. It's a way to love someone even if they're not with you. Parents, very proud, like Miyagi. The rejection of the next Karate Kid uh, is so unfortunate. And also, uh, given that the villains uh, really do read as... I mean, they're, they're a group of, of white dudes who are using, uh, like, nationalism, jingoism, and this mm-hmm. kind of, like, military fetishism mm-hmm. to uh, bolster their 
terrible impulses and to like defend uh, all of the heinous things that they want to do, the violence they want to enact. Like the, the opening scene of the movie has a goddamn uniformed police officer seeing Julie trespassing on the school roof and saying to his partner out loud, if she hasn't already jumped, I'm going to throw her off. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at, at the time that read is like, ha ha, funny joke. This cop is over it. And I read it like saw it now and was just like, fuck, he might, he might throw her off a roof. Like yeah. th- that's just real. And so the fact that like, those are the stakes for this character from the opening. And then, yeah, there's this little cultish uh, militia on, you know, on school grounds that make it very clear that like they wish her harm and will physically harm her. And you're not, ever sure what the extent of that harm is oh yeah like yeah it's it it's interesting now to look back and be like oh yeah like everyone hated it at the time because they took a boy thing and and put a girl in it which you know is still very much that thing we see backlash to now with every piece of media uh and dare they do that to he-man yeah and the ghostbusters (laughs) exactly yeah and i feel like the villains of the next Karate Kid were exactly the dudes who, to this day, are like, "How dare they do that to the Ghostbusters?" Mm-hmm. And it's it is wild uh, to see this in like 1994 and be like, "Oh, they really just it was just right on the nose, wasn't it?" Oh yeah, they knew totally what was up. Like, who, who's the main guy? Ned. Ned? Oh, Ned. Ned, is a, Ned plants evidence on her to get her in trouble. Like, yeah. it, it's cigarettes, but it's just like, hey, uh, you should go to the docks with me. Most girls are like, ask me to the docks, but it's like, you'll come with me. Just You'll deal with it whether you want to or not. You don't know, but you do want to go with me. Anyway, like, um, is, I caught cigarettes on her. <laughs> he is dripping with, like, serial killer sheen when yeah. he's, his delivery of it, like, you ever been down to the docks? You gotta yeah. come down to the docks with me. <laughs> it's like, just like a no. lawless area where they do street fighting and blow up cars <laughs> yeah. and abuse women. There's like there's no there's no street lights. It gets real dark. Uh-huh. Well, and like every time Ned interacts with Julie, because clearly he doesn't like her specifically because Julie wants nothing to do with them and does not respect them because she's like, yeah, these guys are a bunch of like asshole wieners. I'm not yeah. dealing with them, and that's part of the allure of her is like she's the girl that like doesn't throw herself at them. But every single time Ned crosses paths with her, like when, you know, they're suddenly going to work as security at school because they know she's breaking in at night to feed the hawk. Every single time they they catch her, it gets immediately rapey. And it feels like it honestly, it feels like that scene in West Side Story when Anita walks into the room and all the guys are like tossing her between each other. And you're like, this is not an okay situation for her to be in. Precisely what it feels like. And that's like every time they it's just Julie and them. It's that. And you're just like, what the hell? Like They don't establish what their end game is. No, but but then you think and go, what could it be like? There's no way they would actually like have the implication that they're going to like just all of them are going to rape this girl. But that's what it is. Yeah, that's the... They're they're not doing this just to, like, intimidate her or beat her up. It's like, oh, no, there's something more to this. Like, there's something more scummy and psychotic to that. And so much of that is shit rolling downhill from Michael Ironside being, like, their teacher or drill instructor. Or I'm not entirely sure what function he serves in the school. But he beats the shit out of these kids to prove a point. Which also, not the first time in the Karate Kid franchise in which uh, Mr. Miyagi has watched an adult beating the shit out of teenagers and been like, oh, god damn it. I gotta, I gotta go over there and 
Gotta gotta go step to this stranger because like he's just beating children in public. Yeah. I guess <laughs> it's like this that's why they had to cast twenty year olds for this movie. Otherwise, Michael Ironside's beating children, <laughs> like actual children. Yeah. No, and I I want to say also I uh I was in uh the the junior reserve officer training corps when I was a kid because oh, I was what? I was a real confused uh little little dude and I had a period of time where I was like I guess maybe I joined the military cuz I'm not good at things uh and thankfully my mom uh before she uh passed away uh made me promise not to do that uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I kept that promise, but there was a period of time where I was very much like on that track. Uh, high school was a weird messed up time for me, but, uh, I, I will say like the instructors that I had, uh, at the time it was, it was three old army dudes who had had like, you know, three very different careers, but all led each of them to the same point that was like very, uh, disillusioned with military service i think mm -hmm. and so they tr made an effort to try to teach like here are the skills that were, were valuable to me but like i don't think you should join the military <laughs> and so the it's it's something i had never i guess like considered because i you know blessedly had a, a pretty chill experience with it which was you know they taught me how to march and shoot rifles and like things that I don't uh skills that were not practical or useful to me but they were pretty decent dudes and I realized like in retrospect the way that program is structured if you do get a bad one like that is terrifying because I started like mm -hmm. replaying like the experiences that I had and imagining a dude who had been like very gung-ho about his military service and career and I'm like oh oh that's scary because you're a soft squishy brain little child and an adult is like drilling military, uh, you know, indoctrination into you during the, this formative time. That shouldn't exist. And it's mm -hmm. deeply upsetting that it does. Yeah, it's and we see a little bit of that with Eric. I mean, the romance subplot in this is take it or leave it, in my opinion. But I like that Eric is a good guy character that I actually kind of root for in terms of being the love interest of Julie, because he's. Stands up to Michael Ironside and is like, yeah, no, I'm not going to like let you fight me to prove a point that you're a tough guy. Like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And he also acknowledges that the only reason he's even involved in it is because he wants to become a fighter pilot. Like, he wants to fly. Mm -hmm. And when you're a teenager, thinking about like how to actually get into the systems that allow you to become a pilot is really difficult. So if you have somebody that's like, hey, join my thing and I'll write you a really good recommendation for the Air Force Academy, you're probably going to listen to that guy. Mm -hmm. And I, I do like that uh, his little bit of backstory is that the his, his father uh, left, he and his mother like walked out. And so he's like had to work and earn money like he has a part-time job in addition to school and he's like yeah I want to you know become a pilot this feels like the best way for me to do it but he like very actively has to think about the future uh, at an early age because he's like I have to be able to earn money to you know to help my mom mm -hmm. uh, and I something I, I kind of like about it is that like the the stakes for all of these kids feel higher than they did for like kind of anyone in the original karate kid like oh yeah everyone in this movie has uh you know some some trauma or just some some struggle they all like have something that is that is hard about their lives and it's a very just like 
you know, it's a it's a rough public school in which everyone's got some shit going on and they all deal with it in different ways, which feels pretty real to me. Like the uh-huh. the psychotic bullies you can assume also have some bad shit at home and it's like, yeah, they uh they could have used a Miyagi. It's unfortunate that they didn't have that. Yeah, I uh I mean, if you really want to break it down, I feel like Daniel ha- probably has maybe a little bit of an easier time in his particular area of Southern California than a, like a hard school in Boston. Right. Also like, yeah, I, I don't know why I feel like I uh, just find this one relatable in a way that like the original karate kid never necessarily was for me. And I think it's maybe because uh, LaRusso feels like he is like, a, a cool, like, socially capable kind of preppy kid who, uh, like, you know, he's scrappy coming into it, but he mm-hmm. he's like, oh, he's the new kid, and he's, you know, like, doesn't have a lot of money, and, like, his dad's not around, but he just feels so much more, like, uh, I guess, emotionally balanced, and, like, it, it feels like, yeah, he's got some shit in his life, but no more than, like, the average high school kid, and in this one, it just feels like everybody's going through it in a way mm-hmm. that, like the karate like like we said it's not like standing up to bullies in your high school it's like no this is shit you need to learn for your life you're having to grow up faster than than is ideal uh and yeah i don't know maybe just uh more relatable to my high school experience uh my my personal bully uh got a three-day suspension for bringing a hatchet to school Whoa. And he was like, he was like, oh, I was waiting for the bus and I found a hatchet at the bus stop. So I put it in my backpack because I thought it was cool. And they're like, OK, well, you can't bring a hatchet to school. Uh, but the reason uh, embarrassed to admit this, but I did I did snitch on him because word got back to me. They were like, hey, Chris has been talking about beating you up all week, but he was showing off that he has a hatchet in his backpack and we're kind of worried he's going to hit you with a hatchet. <laughs> And so oh, I, I told the teacher, I was like, hey, Chris has an axe and I'm worried about what he's planning with the axe. Yeah, see, oh my God, like these kinds of bullies are a little bit more in the psychotic category that this kid was. Yeah, right. yeah like those those bullies exist. I feel like there is a like much higher volume of children uh, and like early teens facing like potentially life-threatening violence than uh most adults maybe like find out about because i feel like Mm -hmm. as a kid that was like you know things like that would happen sometimes and then i just wouldn't talk about it i'd just be like yeah that was i guess that's normal yeah that just happens yeah i i I think that 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 is such the difference between this movie and like the earlier karate kids though because like William Zabka, he's an he's a cartoon villain, right? Yeah, he's yeah, he's Johnny's so silly. Yeah, he's so silly and goofy, and he's that kind of like blonde bully in several '80s films, like Just One of the Guys. He's great at he's, that. Character. Yep, he's exactly just he's Johnny Lawrence in that yeah. movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, also such a specific '80s archetype of bully, where it's yeah. like the the dude who's like very beautiful and has a lot of money, and is like, ha ha ha, I drive a convertible. <laughs> And I'm so hunky with wide shoulders and can beat you up. Yeah. So because that character is such a cartoon and also despite Ralph Macchio being older, he feels the character feels younger. So like the the whole everything of the movie feels younger. It feels more like a cartoon. It feels a little more catered towards kids versus Julie, who feels like an older character than Daniel. Yeah. And that raises the stakes and also raises like 
the maturity level of the film, I think, as a whole. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we talk all the time on the show about the the common expression of like, well, girls mature faster than boys. Mm-hmm. And this is an example, I think, where you see that in action where it's like, it's not necessarily that girls mature faster than boys because of like some sort of biological whatever the hell. It's that the world is so much scarier, so much younger, and mm-hmm. so much faster that you kind of have to become an adult way earlier than you're prepared for because that's how you survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, again, the stakes here were not she won the All-Valley Karate Tournament. The stakes (laughs) were she was going to be murdered at the docks while an adult looked on and was like, yeah, do it. Yeah, like, (laughs) they fully blow up a classic car. They blow up his car. (laughs) They set a car on fire. Like... The stakes are immediately through the roof in comparison to a sanctioned sport that requires permission slips. Yeah. Also, the the instructor uh, who w- one thing that I do want to uh, like jump back to that I th- I kind of forgot to raise his initial kind of mission statement when he's talking to them his introduction uh, scene he's giving a monologue about like oh like you know in the past in wars Americans have have fought enemies from without. But now the enemy is in our country. The enemy walks among us. And it's that super terrifying xenophobic nationalism that is like, mm-hmm. you know, he never straight up says, like, I'm training you to to do hate crimes. But it's it's walking right up to that line. And so it's a, a terrifying mission statement from this adult that they trust. Yeah. But then at the end when they're at the piers and uh, Eric, the love interest, uh, you know, has been lured into this trap and they all kind of jump him and, you know, it's five on one. They beat him up. The teacher has then like finish him, finish him off. And they, they sort of look at him. There's a pause of like, do we do what do you wh- what are we saying? What? Yeah, because I'll do it. it but I want to make sure like, <laughs> it feels like Mortal Kombat where it's like. Finish yeah. him off, where it's like, oh, he says, like, kill him. Right, because it's, yeah. it's like, oh, I think, like, the fight is over. Like, he's he's on the ground. Would you say finish? And then the same thing happens when Julie gets there. He's like, okay, I want you to, I want you to fight this this woman who is, uh, physically like not in your weight class. This this would never be allowed in an organized sanctioned event. <laughs> but he's like, I want you to fight her, and he says something to the effect of like. If you're going to do this, make sure you put her down. And again, he kind of gives him a look like, dude, are you saying what I... And it's never explicit, but it feels very much like he's like, all right, kids, we're going to kill him and throw the bodies in the water. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) Like, there was a car crash, they both died. That's what happened here tonight. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. The war is not over because one battle's lost. Charlie, Charlie, a fighter. Come on, Charlie. What are you doing now? You're crazy, man. Morgan, you fight. Colonel is over. Now get up and finish the job. I said get up and finish the job! No more. What? Enough! It's not over. Then leave in. The um the specific like the enemy is within racism. We would see that a lot more at like post nine eleven again. 
But like this movie also opens by acknowledging Japanese internment camps during World War II, which I like never hear in films, much yes. less like a teen film. Yeah, unless it is a movie specifically about that situation, it's frequently just completely omitted. Yeah. Like the amount of people that don't even know that that happened because it's not part of like your World War II like curriculum in high school is astounding. Yeah, no, I I had the same uh kind of shocked reaction to that, and I realized that like I was not taught that in school, did not like really actively learn this and retain this and like understand this fact until like my early twenties. But I was like, shit, dude, is the next Karate Kid the first time like I was taught this and I just didn't realize it? <laughs> I would believe it. Like I, I we did learn about this, but only very briefly in high school. Um, probably because we learned about World War II every single year for like eight years. <laughs> so eventually you got to talk about things like that. Otherwise, you're just repeating the same notes. But oh, geez, like I, as soon as this movie opens with that, I'm like, wow, like truly, I have never heard that in a movie unless mm-hmm. it is specifically addressing it. Yeah. yeah. And I think opening with that and then leading into Michael Ironside's like Nazi cult is so shocking, especially in a teen movie, because it really does feel like they're trying to draw those parallels. Yeah, like, like it's a mission statement for sure. Yeah, they're trying to be like, hey, Mr. Miyagi is this guy who like served in the war during a time when we were like imprisoning people who looked like him, mm-hmm. and now he is this poor Pat Morita is so old and now he's got to deal with these like weird empowered like neo-Nazis from the 90s who are trying to do exactly what he got in the war to prevent mm-hmm, and it's yes. like because Mr. Miyagi says so many times in this movie like I don't like to fight like it's not cool that I kicked this guy's butt because fighting is never good like you shouldn't do it unless you absolutely have to mm-hmm. and he's like god now I gotta do it now I gotta I got to turn this man out because he's he's being crazy. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I even like the the way that he fights because he has one fight scene before uh, like the final fight where it's a bunch of uh, just dirt bags at a at a truck stop, I guess, that are yeah. mad. Yeah, that are really hoping that their dog is going to eat Hillary Swank. Yeah. yeah. And then when Mr. Miyagi <laughs> calms the dog down, they're like, you made my dog gay. <laughs> and the the way he fights in that moment i love that it's very like just kind of moving out of the way letting them hit each other like he Mm -hmm. doesn't even really throw a punch he's just like man i I don't want to be here (laughs) it's the the most begrudging way to choreograph something that's just like i'm not i'm not enjoying this violence like i literally out of necessity will move out of the way of your fist but that's that's as much as i'm doing and yeah, I like that his entire, like, attitude at this point is that he's just fucking tired, man. Yeah. When he when he was younger, he he killed God knows how many people, uh, to uphold this idealized version of a country that he really, really wanted to believe, uh, c- could be achieved. He like really wanted this, you know. They and they they say it. They're like, yeah, we fought for like the ideals of the nation that we that we lived in that we thought you know we could uphold mm-hmm. and and now he just is confronted with this bullshit on a on a semi-regular basis uh which god yeah the fact that this was in the early 90s and here we are in 2022 and it's like yeah that dude is still really common and really loud everywhere in america is such a bummer like for we- real 
I, but, I, I wish uh, there were more Miyagi's. I do too. But speaking of like something that we haven't really addressed with this movie yet is this isn't like this everywhere in the country because they do go visit a monastery and these monks are lovely. Oh, they're so good. That's yeah. The the entire monastery uh, storyline and section is so, so good and so life affirming. It is. So one of the big moments that shifts everything for Julie is that they're having dinner and she goes to like kill a cockroach with her shoe. And they're like, no, we don't kill things in the monastery. And like everyone leaves. They, they just are like she it's normal in her like world to just kill bugs and do violence and whatever. But now she's been like transplanted in this place where it's like, oh, no, it's not normal here. I know it is where you're from, like um, in the hard public school system of Boston, but that's not normal here. And it really makes her like reflect on things. And she finds like a praying mantis, which in the 90s, I'm assuming was still heavily endangered. Oh, so, was I? I actually didn't know that. Yeah, they were in danger for a while. It was like a huge fine if you were found out to kill one. Um, but then she brings it back to the monastery going, I didn't kill it. And look how good I did. I'm sorry, I won't kill bugs. And they're like, oh, okay, we're cool now. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie happens where throughout the film, like, Julie listens to, like, really loud rock music and wakes Miyagi up in the middle of the night because she's a teen and she keeps weird hours. But she ends up doing, like, some training. Yeah, she's doing katas to a Cranberries song. (laughs) Yes, which is awesome. And then the monks come in and she's like, oh, I'm super sorry. I thought you were asleep. I didn't want to wake you. And then the monks start dancing to the Cranberries because everyone loves the Cranberries. Everybody loves the Cranberries is the thesis of that scene. (laughs) Exactly. Like, that, that scene is the difference between Karate Kid 1 and this, where it's like, you don't get... Joe Esposito, you get the cranberries. There's more feeling than just being pumped up in this film. <laughs> yes. Also, two uh, two things on that on that scene. One, the moment of Hillary Swank just doing katas to a cranberry song is legitimately like, like that is cinema. <laughs> like, yeah. That that shot, I was like, this fucking rules. Uh, yeah. But also, Miyagi has a has a great line that's definitely. Uh, you know, like played for laughs, uh, but like most of what he says in this movie, I'm like, no, there's there's validity in that. When he says, uh, never trust a spiritual leader that can't dance, because it's like yeah. these dudes, you know, that are are preaching, you know, this kind of like, hey, we we have found a way of living that we believe is more enlightened. It is doing the most good that we can do with our time here on Earth based on, uh, you know, our our belief system this is this is what we think is the most righteous way to to exist this is our you know our set of uh fundamental rules and if joy was not a part of that rubric if like feeling joy and dancing when you hear music that compels you to do so is not part of like what you practice then uh yeah i'm deeply skeptical of your uh you know philosophical or spiritual enlightenment and so i like that that he's just like no they they dance of course yeah. they do. And I find that to be so beautiful, too, because it's such a direct opposition to what we're seeing at Michael Ironside's School for Nazi Boys, where everything is so macho, so masculine, so aggressive. And then you have, you know, Miyagi and the monks and Julie and like you have found balance. You have found an embracing of something that is considered artistry, which is 
coded in our culture as being feminine. Mm-hmm. And like, I love that it's the cranberries. Like, there's something so specific about it, not just being the cranberries, but specifically that it's dreams. A be- perfect song. Yeah. A the perfect best song. Films of the 90s. But because it is such a beautiful song that feels just so tranquil, but then at the same time, is filled with so much power because you have her voice just like bellowing. Mm-hmm. And it's like a primal bellowing, like scream of a woman at the same time. Like it's just, it is the perfect song choice. Whatever they paid for it, like they got a good deal on it. They should have paid more because it is such a perfect encapsulation, I think, of the entire just heart of this movie. Oh, that is the pivotal scene of the movie. Yeah, oh, God. 100%. Yeah. What's going on? Nothing. Just monks having a good time. I thought that they were supposed to be spiritual leaders. Never trust spiritual leader who cannot dance. I also really love uh, two, two moments uh, at the uh, the monastery. One, uh, when they, they're celebrating her birthday and she says uh, the, the one birthday wish she has is that they would come visit her. Mm-hmm. And they have that moment of like, oh, we haven't left in years. I don't know. And then he kind of just turns and is like, you guys, you guys want to go? And they're like, yeah, of course. And they do, <laughs> which, which is great. Uh, I love the reveal of that birthday cake during her birthday. Yes. Where she thinks she's in trouble and they come in beating a drum. And she's like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to kill that spider in my room. It was an accident. She's like, but I buried it and said a prayer. <laughs> Very cute. Uh, but I also love that they're like, for your gift. I'm going to shoot an arrow at Mr. Miyagi and he's going to fucking catch it with his bare hands because that's yes. sick as shit. <laughs> For my birthday, I want to watch an old man shoot an arrow at a different old man and then he catches it. And the thing is, one, uh, absolutely. That's that's all I want for my birthday every year. That's That's the <laughs> sickest thing I've ever heard. But also, it kind of, you get that and then you get like a couple of other scenes where she like, observes them just speaking to each other in Japanese and laughing and like eating food, preparing meals together. But they have this like clear kind of old camaraderie. And I just really like the idea of like this, this secondary storyline in which these dudes are like, yo, yo Miyagi, you want to do the arrow thing? And he's like, Oh, I haven't done the arrow thing in years. It's like, I know, but come on, you can still do it. He's like, Hey, let's do the arrow thing. It'll be sick. She's going to love it. (laughs) I absolutely love the idea of that. And like, there's just something so wonderful about just the, <laughs> the existence of like the monk subplot because they do end up visiting her in Boston. They visit her on prom night and there's two things that happen. One, they go bowling and they do Zen bowling, which is fantastic yeah. because they bowl blindfold, bolt folded, and they end up like hustling like a shitty Bostonian man who cares way too much about bowling. But then he, ends um, up, he admits defeat and he's like, teach me Zen bowling. He's like, yes, yeah, it's so better. good. And like, like they attract so good. an entire crowd of onlookers. Yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. But the thing that made me the most happy, and I pointed this out when we were watching it, is that Miyagi and the monks are cooking on prom night and Eric comes to pick up and it is such like a dad moment. 
But instead of it being like typical dad, like cleaning a shotgun, like better have her home by nine, like kind of thing. Mr. Miyagi is like aggressively chopping vegetables with a very sharp knife. He points the knife at him. He He points the knife at him. And I was like, I love that this is Mr. Miyagi's equivalent of being an overprotective dad is like, I'm just going to show you how fucking good I am with this knife. She better be home by one. Like, it's so great. He sticks it into a, a cucumber and holds the cucumber up on the tip of the knife, the very like phallic image. And then just says like, treat her with respect. Which is that? That's it. That's all you need. It's to just yeah. be respectful. I, and like, what's so nice about it is it never like so much when you have that character, or that moment in a movie, it feels like a weird, creepy, overprotective, like scary, toxic dad. Right. But you know, with Miyagi, like he's saying it like with respect, mm-hmm. and like there's a mutual understanding here. It just. I don't know. It like it hits different. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, because it's not when when he's like the dance runs until midnight. I probably won't have her back by ten, maybe one o'clock. He's like, okay, what's your plan for that hour? Which is like a fair question. And he's like, <laughs> just just be respectful. And that's it. There's no there's no weird overstep of like, don't you put your hands on my property? Yeah. It's just like, no, nah, just be a good human being. And he's like, cool, yeah. I will. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's trust, like. I think that Eric has proved in his cohorts of all of them, like Miyagi is observed like Michael Ironside's wayward school of Nazis. And he's noticed that like Eric is Eric seems fine. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he's kept an eye on him. And he's like, you're not you're not one of the bad ones. Yeah. Right. And I, I feel like that's kind of like, I don't know, his entire uh, way of being his entire like life philosophy and outlook uh, which, you know, again, in the previous films and like at other times in my life, I, you know, have considered this very, uh, yeah, like magical, mystical, like it's a thing that exists in movies, but like not a real person. And it's like, no, he's he's pretty like pragmatic. You know, he like he's optimistic, but not naive. He just he hopes that people will show him goodness. You know, he like mm-hmm. hopes for the best mm-hmm. in all outcomes. But it's like, yeah, sometimes you're going to be in a situation where a dipshit is unreasonable and he's going to take a swing at you. And when that happens, you know, do do whatever you need to do and are comfortable doing in that moment. Uh, but generally, just try to try to be respectful, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just to, just try to be a good person. And like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's very much like in terms of wish fulfillment maybe that's why this one uh lands so much better uh for me like both now as an adult but also just uh relative to the other karate kid movies i think that uh in in terms of wish fulfillment being like a kid who's bullied and a guy teaches you karate so you can beat your bullies uh on the stage of the the all valley karate championship in front of the (laughs) the gal you want to smooch like yeah that's all very cool but something about like you are grieving your parents and which is a you know a thing that I have experienced you're you're a teenager grieving your parents and a guy shows up and says hey everything that you're feeling is normal like i lost my parents and it sucked you're you're going to be angry you're going to feel big scary feelings and not know what to do and the unfortunate fact of the matter is that life is going to continue to put you in these situations. You're going to have to earn money to survive in this world. So you might have to like work shitty jobs and babysit the terrible kids across the street. And <laughs> you're going to feel all of these like terrible things and you're going to want to escalate and you're going to want to scream and you're going to want to run away from the situation or pound your fist bloody against the wall. But like as best you can take a breath, 
remind yourself that the sun is shining, the grass is green and get through it and do the things that you have to do. Like, and, and yeah, teaches her, you know, in addition to karate, teaches her uh, to respect herself, teaches her to value her own life and to think about the future at a time when she's doing neither of those things. I'm like, man, that that's the karate kid for me specifically. <laughs> Today, Miyagi go pick up Julissa at the school, but uh, you're not there. I went to the train yard to talk to this guy. No big deal. Miyagi also talked to people. Your teachers. Bring home homework you miss for three weeks. Great. Maybe I'll do it sometime. Uh, maybe do it tonight. Don't order me around. It's not order. It's a very small request. I told you this morning. I know where I'm going in my life, and I don't need any math problems to get there. Hey, Julissa. Uh, ambition without the knowledge is like a um, boat on dry land. Forget it. I'm out of here. And yeah. that, that whole scene where, like, after she leaps onto the pizza car, after almost getting run over. Yeah! Like, that, first of all, that's cool. Second of all, like, <laughs> Hilary Swank cries a lot just in her career, but also in this movie. And she's like, aren't you going to scream at me my, my grandma? Aren't you going to tell me that I'm worthless or I'm fucked up or I'm just whatever? And he's like, no. And he's so patient and he's so calm and he tells stories and he's just like, I'm going to just sort of tell you that I'm not mad at you and that I'm patient with you and that you can grow, but I'm not going to force you to right now because you're not ready. We're just going to kind of, we're, we're going to, we're going to do some baby steps to move to where you need to so that we can move from there. Like it's every like little thing that will eventually help you grow better and manage your, your teenage angst and your anger, which is like totally valid in this mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. Like, it's really wonderful. Like this movie, I don't care what anyone says about like the action because there really isn't. But like that scene in this movie, obviously the cranberry scene, um, the scene where Miyagi teaches her to dance because she doesn't know how to waltz oh, by like so cute. doing. Oh, it's so cute with like the punches or whatever, and then it just eventually devolves into like a dance, and she's dancing. There are some really beautiful moments between these two characters. Absolutely, and I feel like I mean, and I can't speak to this because I don't know martial arts i don't know karate <laughs> i don't know any of this but what i do know is like the idea of meditation and zen and like being at peace and and finding balance and this movie for me is the most like exemplifying of those principles of like appreciating the simplicity of valuing you know all living things like all of those teachings that you typically get when you do study any form of like martial arts or anything of that regard this is actually showcasing that it's not just about like here's how you win a fight it's like here's how to center yourself like here's how to get to that like it, it i don't know it's like it, it feels very zen like that really is the only word that i can think of and i i love that it's done with baby steps because so frequently especially if we're struggling or we're we're suffering or what have you we're all always looking for that magic wand mm -hmm. like that magic therapy or that magic pill or that magic whatever that's going to make all of this go away and that's not how it works it's hard fucking work you're going to 
spin kick and fall in the sand a hundred fucking times before you get it right. And like, that's the message of like, it sucks and it's work. But like, once you do it, like you're going to be better for having done it. And that is such like a beautiful message to get. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, like I really, I can't help but think that the only reason that this movie failed is one, because it's serious. It's way more serious than the other movies. And two, just, you know, old fashioned misogyny. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a lot of that. I do think uh, you saying like it's more serious. It absolutely is. And I realized in addition to being an early example of the like, we're rebooting this franchise, but doing the like the gender swap. Now it's a girl instead of a karate boy. Uh, It also feels like an earlier example of like a gritty reboot without uh, outwardly clocking as that. You know, it, did, yeah. it didn't feel like, oh, this is like now Zack Snyder presents the Karate Kid or whatever. And I feel like it's <laughs> it's a great way to do a gritty reboot because the themes are heavier. The the stakes are higher. Everything is a little darker, but mm-hmm. it keeps like the message and the optimism of the previous ones. Uh, also, I am a martial artist <laughs> and <laughs> I, I kind of want to uh, cut into something that you touched on there, uh, which is that uh, all of the teaching that he's you know giving her that is very just like yeah sound life advice and like progress is non-linear and it's gonna suck for a long time before it gets slightly incrementally better uh which mm-hmm. absolutely is how you learn how to fight uh but also everything he teaches her is like pretty pretty practical pretty legitimate uh like the first lesson when she says, you know, okay, yeah, I, I want to learn karate. You taught my grandpa and then my dad and he taught me a little bit. So like, that's cool. I want to stay connected to my parents with our legacy of karate. Uh, definitely teach me. <laughs> the first lesson is that he, yeah, sends her to babysit these kids. She has, uh, you know, a bad time at first and is like getting angry and frustrated with them. Eventually learns how to control her temper, how to like self-soothe and like calm herself when she is feeling like really really aggressive really angry and really heightened and uh angry fighters are bad fighters there's this like this common kind of myth that you hear from people who generally have not been in a lot of physical altercations and have not trained which is like oh if i were in a fight i think i would just see red i would just get so angry i'd just like black out and like really want to hurt someone like oh i'm scared of what i would do i'd get so mad the, th- the thing is, like, every human instinct in a fight, if you have not trained, is almost always wrong. Like, it is it is exceptionally rare that someone's fight or flight instinct will take over. They will be really, really angry or really, really scared and just act instinctively and uh, do anything in a fight that is what you want to do. Like, they, every, every human instinct is, I'm going to ball my fist up, I'm going to pull my arm way way back and I'm going to swing for the fences in a big loopy haymaker that doesn't have a ton of power in it and leaves me completely open to any kind of like gentle shove uh angry fighters are bad fighters I <laughs> I won a fight once that I was absolutely losing uh it was I think my third career fight uh I, I was uh, for context for listeners I uh, am a retired uh former professional kickboxer uh 12 pro fights, eight wins, four losses. Hey, all right. Uh, <laughs> so and, talented. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, no, I was, I was never very good. Uh, and my trainer will be the first to tell you this. Uh, but, I, <laughs> but I had a great time. Uh, but I was I was absolutely losing a fight. It was a five-round uh, kickboxing match. The guy cut me open in the first round. And uh, so I was like, you know, 
com- combating the blood in my my own blood in my eyes for most of the fight. So I was like not doing great, but uh, he was starting to get kind of tired as the fight went on. So I started like hamming up that I had more energy than him. I would just kind of dance around and like was kind of like slapping his stomach and being like, oh, getting tired, getting tired, buddy. (laughs) And I kept like smiling at him and it it was in Thailand, but I was like taunting him in Thai. And eventually I I popped him in the mouth. He had a bloody lip. And so as soon as his mouth was bleeding, I kept like smiling at him and pointing at his mouth like, oh, your mouth is fucked up. Look, my mouth is great. And he started (laughs) cocking his fist way back to throw these big, mean haymakers and then it was very easy to just kind of take a step back and let him swing at air until he got more tired. And I made fun of him even harder so that by the end of the fourth round, despite absolutely being up on the scorecards, like winning this fight between rounds four and five, he told his trainer, I'm not going back out there. I can't. I can't. I'm tired and I don't want to fight this fucking dude anymore. <laughs> and I won the fight because angry fighters. They're bad fighters. That's a legitimate lesson. You used your brain. Yeah. And like everything that he teaches her is legitimate. Uh, Like it's valid. It's stuff that you can use in a fight. And I kind of love that, that like the martial arts philosophy does carry over even up to him being like, I don't ever want to fight because you hear that from anyone who's trained for any period of time. Because if you learn how to fight, then inevitably you are put in positions where you are made to understand that there are people who are better than you at fighting. And you're like, yeah, I don't want to do this randomly with strangers. Like, there are so many variables. I know that on any given day, no matter how good I am or, like, what the skill disparity is between me and the person I'm fighting, they could have a friend behind me that I didn't know about. I could slip on some ice that I didn't know was there. Like, you know, there are so many variables. And so I just, I don't know. I love that everything about Miyagi and his teaching kind of tracks for, like, a guy who's just very good at fighting. And he's like, no, this is is what you should learn. Um, Yeah. And the the maybe uh, most significant one of those for me was him telling her something to the effect of like, there are times that you may have to fight. You should always try to avoid it. Always try de-escalation. Always try to walk away. But the time when it comes, you know, he's like, as long as you have respect for yourself, you know, your own like self-worth and value and you value the life and safety of those around you, you will know. Like, it becomes obvious as soon as those criteria are met. And I agree with that, because I think that the times that most people get into random violent altercations, like street fights, quote-unquote, it is people who are insecure, it is people who are afraid, it is people who feel like because they have been threatened or spoken to in a certain way, they have to rise to this occasion somehow. They have to, like take a swing and like meet this with physical violence because their, you know, their pride or their honor or whatever is on the line. Or maybe they do feel physically threatened and they think there's no other way out and they got to take that first swing before things escalate. And I think that the more kind of like confidence you are able to cultivate within yourself in situations like that, heightened and escalated situations and being able to like talk yourself down emotionally in those moments, the easier it becomes to deescalate. Like, the number of times that someone has uh, tried to escalate something with me at, you know, a bar, just like walking alone at night, whatever. And because I didn't meet that initial panic, I was able to just kind of be like, oh, man, no, I don't want to fight you. Look at you. You'd kill me. You'd take my head off, dude. I know you're big and strong. Let me buy you a drink. Come on. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> I don't know. Being being able to have that is something that I, it's kind of why I'm always trying to get people to train 
to fight with me? I'm like, no, like learn, learn a little bit of martial arts because even if you never intend to use it, there's something to be said for like having that experience and having that ability so that when you are in those situations, it's much easier to be like, oh no, I, d- I don't want this at all. Like, of, of course not. Let's, let's just walk away. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I like, I like that Mr. Miyagi advocates for that instead of, uh, just kicking fools. <laughs> and I like that we get to see that in action in complete opposition of all of like the terrible kids, M- more so the kids that have been indoctrinated by Michael Ironside. Like let's yeah. paint the villain where it is. It's Michael Ironside. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, because right from the beginning, like our introduction to him is him beating up kids to prove a point. And it's like, wow, you really are a tough guy fighting children. You uh-huh. asshole. Right. Like, it is such an extension of his insecurity, of his, like, weird anxieties that he has about the world changing around him because he is devoid of empathy. Mm-hmm. And it's I, – I think that that juxtaposition – because obviously, like, that is the juxtaposition that is painted throughout the Karate Kid franchise between, like, Miyagi Dojo and then the Cobra Kai. Like, that's what it is. But I think that it's just so much more prominent – in this movie because it's not in a in an in a world that I don't understand because like don't get me wrong I love the karate kid movies I love cobra kai I think they're both super yeah, fun yeah. this movie's not fun for me like there are moments of it that are like lovely like mm-hmm. I love all of the stuff in the monastery I love teaching how to dance like these are moments that are lovely but for me this isn't a movie that makes me like oh that was really fun I watched this and I'm like you know that made me feel something mm-hmm. like this opened up my emotional cavity inside my chest that's that's how this movie makes me feel yeah no same honestly like it's it I I mean I uh am the last person to uh, rank film in terms of like oh this is real film this is not legitimate because it's you know has too many head explosions or whatever I mean if you if you listen to our podcast kicking and screaming you know that uh we we celebrate all films uh but there's something about it that feels just kind of more legitimate there's an authenticity to it that it's like oh yeah this doesn't take place in an 80s karate world you know, this takes place in the world, regrettably. And so, yeah, it just it feels more earnest in a weird way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of your podcast, you you could speak to this maybe better than I could. Because, like, I'm no slouch when it comes to martial arts movies. But also, this feels paced out so much more like most of the martial arts movies I've ever seen. In that it's slow, but it's very deliberate. And I don't think that the other Karate Kid films necessarily are because they're so much more fun. Yeah, no, I I think like the fact that the the training montage is uh, spiritual as much as it is like physical for her. Uh, it feels closer to the pacing of like an old school Shaw Brothers. Uh, like yeah. honestly, if you watch like the Thirty Six Chamber of Shaolin, which is you know one of those, uh, it's like the epitome of you know like. Shaw Brothers like classic kung fu movies it's you Mm -hmm. know consistently rated one of the best and is very like beloved and cherished the movie rips uh but if if you watch that there I think in total like maybe five fight scenes in the movie uh which is still you know more than well no this might actually have about five uh because there's Mm -hmm. Miyagi with the truck stop creeps there's kind of two fights at the end maybe three because you have Eric fighting the bad guys, Julie fighting yeah. Ned, and then Miyagi fighting Ironside. And then uh, one little bit of a scrap on the rooftop between uh, Ned and Eric. So yeah, maybe about the same number of fights. 
not a ton of action, uh, but most of the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, it's like opening action scene, then uh, Gordon Liu deciding that he wants revenge, joins the Shaolin Monastery, and it's just him doing uh, training for the entire like middle hour and 10 minutes of the movie you know or more like most of the film is him training at a monastery and he's learning both like how to get better at kung fu but also yeah how to like control his emotions and all of that and then there's the final fight scene and i i feel like structurally this is so much more a shaw brothers film than it is like an 80s teen movie which is weird yeah mm-hmm. no but absolutely also and i rules. think it's- <laughs> Yeah, of course. Like, th- th- we were really into, like, martial arts movies throughout, like, the 70s and 80s and I guess into the early 90s. But by that point, it had been boiled down to, like, a little more of a kid's level with, like, Three Ninjas and Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. But, like, the 80s, we truly took a crack at martial arts movies ourselves. Yeah. And they are usually action movies. They're not mm-hmm. martial arts movies in, like, a classic sense. Not, like, the du- even even the dubs that we got in the 70s of, like... Honestly, any number of like even like Eastern when they were like first films. localizing like Jet Li or Jackie Chan stuff, or just like any kind of like Hong Kong martial arts movies that were making their way over here, like yeah, yeah. yes. Congratulations, Julissa. Congratulations. That's all you're gonna say is congratulations. Don't I get a belt or something? I belt more. No, I mean a karate belt, brown belt, black belt. Why well, need the belt? So everyone knows I'm good. You know you're good. That's the important thing. Oh, come on. Even Elvis Presley got a black belt. Borrow from Elvis next time, see him. So something that I would love for you to speak on, Harmony, and we, because we watched this uh, less than 24 hours after we saw Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Oh, yeah. Which is a movie What that, an incredible oh, film God. that is. A movie everybody yeah. needs to see. But we, <laughs> we've we been talking movie. about that movie a lot, and we specifically talked about like why you like martial arts movies. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could speak on that to like explain that to any of our listeners who are kind of like, Harmony seems really into martial arts. What is that about? Uh, I, I, first of all, I just think they rule, which yeah. is always a good metric for does, does Harmony like this movie? I don't know. Does it fucking rule? There we go. Sometimes that's, that's an things easy just way. rule. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's freaking cool. But um, the way I was describing this to BJ in the car yesterday is that I love martial arts films in much the way that I love, um, you know, maybe like a, a, a schlocky horror film or that I love a an animated film because there is almost this unwritten human understanding that comes with these films in, in in the way of like a martial arts movie so much of this is communicated across languages similarly to everything everywhere all at once which is popping in and out of multiple languages but it you don't get lost in that like there is a very human nature that is just innately understood um, I think animated films also convey that because the of the um, the the proportions and the way that they're animated and they move, they're much more expressive than normal humans are. And there's something about that with this movie where it's like you don't you don't need dialogue per se. Like I can understand what Mr. Miyagi is talking about even without necessarily listening to what he's saying. Like it's it clearly is very wise and very poignant and very smart and wonderful. But watching Mr. Miyagi like. Try and pick out a dress. I can I can figure out what he's saying. Yeah. I'm trying to watch Mr. Miyagi teach how to dance with like punches first and then eventually 
actual dance moves. I understand that. There is this universal language to a martial arts movie that I so appreciate. It's just physical communication is so important in these movies. And there's so much stuff happening in this movie in particular with physical communication. Like when part of Julie's training is babysitting shithead kids, Mm -hmm. Miyagi shows up with a basket full of like Nerf guns and footballs and like all sorts of toys And you can tell that she's like, I don't need any more toys. And then he just kind of looks at her and makes like a suggestive movement with his body. Like, like, that's all you need. Mm -hmm. You don't need him to sit her down and give a monologue about the importance of being able to channel anger into fun. Like, you don't need that because he said everything he needed to by looking at her and giving her the tools she needed. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the the nonverbal storytelling, because there's also, uh, you know, storytelling in the action in a lot of martial arts films in the actual fight scene you understand character dynamics and you feel human drama i i love that there is a a willingness to trust the audience and say like hey we can really exemplify showing rather than telling and we trust that you're going to like parse the message and like follow us on this journey throughout the course of this fight scene uh i i think also you know films as a visual medium like hell yeah give me spectacle give me backflips give me cool kicks that's yeah. it, it rules uh i also uh enjoy that primarily i think if you took every martial arts film ever made from any era country or region just like year to date in the history of film the vast majority percentage of them by volume are likely going to be underdog stories there mm-hmm. it's usually about a person who is in a world that was not built for them, uh, struggling against systems designed to oppress them uh, or to essentially, uh, you know, it's, it's capitalism, it's fascism. It's we're we're going to, we're going to grind your bones to, to pad our purses. You know, like you, you are an expendable commodity to us. The 1% of people that make all of the rules for you that have been in power since generations before you were even born. Uh, and it's, you know, taking that underdog in the face of, you know, whatever oppression, whether it's like classic Shaw Brothers films and it's like, oh, we're fighting, you know, the invading whatever forces or, you know, the the later, you know, more like kind of Western ones of just like, oh, there's a bad guy. Maybe he's big pharma. Maybe he's mafia ninjas. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it's it's the underdog learning a skill that is this innately human thing that's like, hey, I'm. I am able through just like grit and sheer force of will and determination and really just stick into it. I am able to create a thing within myself that I carry around. It's not a thing that I can be stripped of. It's not a thing that you can take from me that was given to me. I'm just so fucking good at punching now that I will just keep punching until things change. <laughs> and I, I just, I, I really love that structure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and honestly, even like tying that into something else I love that isn't necessarily film. That's also why I love professional wrestling. It's the physical storytelling yes. that you that you can understand by watching these people interacting, and it's only enhanced by understanding like the strengths and the weaknesses of these respective characters and how they interact with each other. Like, there's so much that you can say without saying in that sense. And also, we love rooting for an underdog. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I love. Who doesn't love an underdog story? Right. The D- Donald Sutherland in The, the Hunger, Hunger Games. Games. <laughs> 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 but excluding <Wonderful>. that. <laughs> yes. Uh, al- 
also the oppressors don't like underdogs. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess that's that's who, right? <laughs> if we're if we're being if we're being real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, no, I I wanted to say uh, two two things uh, about this one small thing uh when she jumps on the hood of the pizza delivery car uh i had to go back and check the date because i was like oh that would have been right around the time uh in 1993 one year before the film was released uh that was when domino's officially put an end to the 30 minutes or less uh promise <laughs> and i don't i i don't know how familiar y'all are with this particular yes. bit of domino's history but it, uh-huh. it was ended uh, because the way this deal was structured, where if your pizza was not delivered in 30 minutes or less, it was free. Uh, generally, the delivery drivers were who was accountable for the free pizza. It, mm-hmm. it was essentially like, it is on you to get it there in 30 minutes or less. If not, the the amount of pizza you you know end up giving away for free is either coming out of your pay, your hours get docked, whatever. They were penalized for it. So you have a bunch of like, minimum wage kids you know delivering pizza who are like living on tips and paycheck to paycheck now getting even less on each paycheck because it's not always realistic to get a pizza there in 30 minutes so Mm -hmm. these kids are fucking speeding across town and uh predictably there were some traffic accidents caused by reckless pizza driving uh Mm -hmm. including a a woman uh dying because she was hit by a domino's pizza driver so one year after that happened and the promotion was officially ended, it feels like a pretty direct reference to like pizza guy almost runs a woman over and it's like, I'm, I'm so sorry, man. I got I got to get this pizza down. Bye. <laughs> like for real. It's, oh, I didn't realize that was the exact time frame that that happened. But no, I do. I, I am aware of right? that. And like we even rewatched the first Ninja Turtles for the Patreon recently. And there's a whole like. Got it. No, we don't eat late pizza, man. You like it's docked like ten dollars or whatever. Men right. say forgiveness is divine, but never pay a full price for late pizza. Exactly. <laughs> Damn, the Ninja Turtles were on the wrong time, ta- wrong side of that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So, so what was the other oh, thing you wanted the, to say? The other thing, uh, if I I don't know, uh, we might this might have already run long enough and I don't know if y'all would be willing to indulge me in this, but I would like to talk a little bit about the final fight. Yes. Let's talk about this final fight because it's wild as hell. And also something that I care way more about than I should is like the dress that Miyagi picks for her is a skater skirt bottom. She could have fought in that. She did not need to put on sweatpants. Oh, you're right. (laughs) Fuck, how good would it have been like, if she was fighting in her prom dress? Oh, my God. Then, awesome. then it just would have became Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie, which, again, I'm fine with yeah. because her dress is also short and flippy specifically so she can kick vampire ass in that. So when, like, that wardrobe change happens, I'm like, that didn't need to happen. You could have kicked ass in that dress. That's functional. It's because oh, it was a right. white dress. It, that's true. It is a white dress. That dress is going to get ruined that's gonna by get scrapping by the docks. <laughs> no, and I mean, that's that's true. You know, she's learned enough about fighting at this point that she's like, I don't want to mess up my nice dress. I don't want to get this fool's <laughs> blood on my nice dress. <laughs> uh, no, and I, I, do, uh, I do love that she gets to have, like, a, a relatively nice prom experience before she has to fight the evil Nazis at the dock. <laughs> but no, that uh, that last fight, I I really love one that she's uh the the you know kind of evil Nazi kids. They are not uh martial artists themselves. You know, we show that like Michael Ironside, like oh he's got 
presumably some kind of military background and combat training. Mm-hmm. So he's g- really good at beating up high school boys. <laughs> so we know that's how we know he's a threat. Uh, but everyone else, like, you know, they're they're just kind of swinging. They're scrapping. And so I do appreciate that it's not choreographed like a point karate fight. She's yeah. just beating the hell out of him. Like, he he's throwing punches, but she throws, like I think she, like, opens with a sweep kick and then throws a very cool axe kick where she kind of stunts on him. She holds her leg up for a minute, like, ha-ha, before uh-huh. <laughs> just fucking smashing his face. Uh, <laughs> and, and her fight, I mean, I guess similar to Miyagi's, is so one-sided like she just stunts on this dude to the point that it's like oh yeah she's uh when i was uh training at a gym in thailand uh a fighter who was himself at the time a high school boy but had like a hundred professional fights already and was infinitely better at kickboxing than i will ever be uh i was sparring with him and i was like trying a little too hard because i at the time, I think was a little embarrassed of being the only foreigner and also getting beaten up by a seventeen-year-old on my first day. So I wasn't like <laughs> swinging real hard, but I was—I wasn't like trying to hurt him. But I was just like clearly expending much more effort than I needed to for sparring, and then than he was. And he laughed and he was like, "Oh man, I'm just eating pork today." And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh, it just kind of means like, you know, it's easy, it's lighthearted, it's, it's very relaxed. Like you're just having an easy pork dinner." And I was watching that fight and was like, damn, Hillary Swank just eating pork today. <laughs> like, <she's> just... <laughs> But th- that fight is great. I love the little axe kick. I love that she's very clearly like a better fighter than LaRusso was because this dude is mm-hmm. twice her size. She gets mud thrown in her eyes, and we- which is a great scene because her, uh, you know, potential boyfriend is like, we got to stop this. It's going too far. These guys are like <laughs> fucked up dangerous and he just threw dirt in her eyes. This is going to get bad. And I love Miyagi's like, no, no, no. She did. She she knows blind karate too. Like I covered this. You're good. <laughs> like, you, don't, you don't have the information that I do, but she's still well within the realm of of eating pork. <laughs> she she can fight blind. Uh, but I I love that little uh, exchange and how you know just kind of easily she's like, oh yeah, you were you were never anything. Like y- mm-hmm. you guys are chumps. Uh, but the final fight between Miyagi and uh, Michael Ironside, which uh, similarly one sided. Uh, I kind of love because in the universe of the Karate Kid in which he is maybe empirically the best living fighter at the time, you know, like we never (laughs) see him come close to losing a fight. Uh, Uh Like every strike that he throws is fucking mean. Like the I like literally rewound it to like break it down. He smashes his forearm across Michael Ironside's jaw, which like immediately is is gonna rattle you and make you feel a little queasy, potentially knock you out right there. The next thing that he does is step off the center line and kick him directly in the solar plexus, which is like cool. He he's gonna struggle to breathe, and then the final thing that he throws. Oh no, he he karate chops him on the back of the neck which is Mm -hmm. an area that you are not permitted to strike in any organized combat sport because it's so easy to like accidentally cripple someone by hitting them on like Uh the back of the head or neck. And then the last thing that he does, he throws a spinning back kick and hits him in the liver. And uh, if you get hit in the liver, like the, the liver's role in your body is to filter toxins out of your blood. A direct blunt impact to that organ will release a bunch of those toxins all at once it's like a sponge being squeezed your your Uh blood is then flooded with toxin and your body just kind of shuts down like 
it's it's a way to knock somebody out by punching them in the chest wow. where like yeah you you hit them it's it's kind of a uh, between the bottom two ribs on the on the right side and that's that's where he throws that kick and the guy's body just crumples because like yeah your arms and legs stop working and i just really love that it's like <laughs> miyagi throws four moves and each of them is so mean like he hurts <laughs> this dude <laughs> he deserves it and th- this is precisely why like um, amongst just i love you dearly and Aww. i will l- happily ha- have any excuse to hang out and talk same um but this is precisely why I wanted you for an episode about a martial arts movie. Because I'm like, I want you to break this down for me. Yeah. And we really did. Like, we sat there and we were like, what movie can we have for Elijah? What can we do? And we're like, wait, next Karate Kid. It's perfect. I am, I am so grateful uh, both for the opportunity to talk with y'all because I love you and to, to be a guest Aww. on this uh, wonderful and prestigious podcast. Uh, but also extremely grateful for the pretext to rewatch this because I did not realize that it's like my favorite karate. Not not that I like necessarily felt super strongly about the other Karate Kid movies. I adore Cobra Kai. I think it rips. Uh, but I didn't realize like how much affection I have for this now too. I rewatched it. I was like, oh, this is by far the best one. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing that I will say, because I've had to do a lot of research and writing about Cobra Kai, because people keep asking them, is Jaden Smith ever going to show up in the Karate Kid? And they're like, no, no, no. We have very strictly established that Cobra Kai is only in the Miyagi verse. Like, so no, like Jaden would not be a part of it. But Hillary Swank could. Uh-huh. And I like... I want her to have a cameo in, like, maybe, like, the season finale or something so badly because as we saw in The Hunt, for those who didn't see it, uh, there is a killer fight scene at the end of The Hunt between Hilary Swank and Betty Gilpin. Yeah. She can still kick major ass. Yeah. So I would love to see her show up in Cobra Kai as Julie and just whip ass. Like, that would be the best. (laughs) I would love that so much. Same. I I feel like they they have to. Like, it would be shocking if this character never showed up but my my dream version is that she comes in like mid-season and becomes like one of the cool instructors or whatever like she joins the ongoing karate gang wars and some substantial role because yeah that would just be incredible and I don't know. Maybe we can have Walton Goggins show up too. Yeah. You can have him show up and maybe I don't know. I don't know if he could still fight but (laughs) I mean, he couldn't really fight in this movie, but no, he got his I, ass want, I want Walton Goggins in every TV show. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, he's great. I also do appreciate that he's the one kid who at the end is like, nah, man, I'm not going to keep doing this weird shit. It's, it's gone to some <laughs> I'm really not about to places. kill this person and throw their body in the lake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Harmony, I think the time has come for oh, yeah. the most important question. Yeah. The next Karate Kid is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? See, I was, like, comfortable in saying yes when we sat down to watch it, but then, like, actually breaking it down for the episode is, like, such a more emphatic yes. This movie is so good, and it is... 
it's unbelievably frustrating that it is the worst reviewed film that we've ever covered on this podcast. Yeah, it's it feels so insulting, and I feel like I'm about to get really insufferable after we announce this episode with like, no, 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 I swear to God, like, you deserve please better go back, next Karate Kid. Please go back and watch this because it's actually awesome, and we will tell you all about it. But for the love of God, you have to trust us on this. Yeah, because this happens every once in a while. Like, I think the last time we really got like, wait, wait, wait no, this is great, was probably Ice Princess. Ah, oh, Ice the, Princess rules. The figure skating movie with Michelle Trachtenberg that no one remembers. And we were like, but no, this movie's incredible. I, I remember it because I had a huge crush on Michelle Trachtenberg around that time. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is another one of those movies where, like, I think everybody in their brain remembers, like, oh, this is the bad one. And it's like, no, 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 it's not. Like, don't, don't let, like, the weird, awful... Johnny Lawrence apologists get in your brain like no this movie's actually great yeah I'm I am absolutely poised to become a huge the next Karate Kid advocate moving forward in that way that like uh years ago I would have the kind of like oh everyone thinks Halloween 3 is lame but it's actually really good and then eventually Mm -hmm. everyone was like oh no you're like yeah it's actually really good and now, and now we don't have to do that or have that conversation anymore. I'm hoping for the same arc with the next Karate Kid where we, yeah. we just we, we make enough noise and be annoying enough that eventually everyone's like, oh, wait, no, it's actually a really good movie. And then and then we just get to that becomes the new canon. This is going to be our grassroots campaign. Exactly. <laughs> Justice for the next Karate Kid. Like in the in the short term, once Cobra Kai ended up on Netflix, I was really jazzed that they started just buying up all of these other things to put on their streaming service. Like, hey, do you want every Stephen Chow movie? I was like, yes, I Love on Delivery is one of my favorite movies. And I think it's incredible and hilarious. And I love it. Yes, more people watch this. But in the long term, what I want is, yes, watch more martial arts movies. And also watch the next Karate Kid. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. (laughs) Well, Elijah, thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners find you on the internet and what you do and anything you you want to share? Oh, uh, well, you can find me on Twitter where I'm at Elijah underscore pizza. You can find uh, the Kicking and Screaming podcast on uh, Twitter and Instagram. We are at Pod. Uh, and uh, professionally, I work in advertising, but I'm not allowed to talk about the ad campaigns that I work on. So, anytime <laughs> you look at an ad that you like, think of me, <laughs> and just I'll I'll just take credit for it. <laughs> Beautiful, as always, friends. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you as always to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use Title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool indie band do you want people to check out this week? Oh, this band is perfect for this movie because it's a lot of like rage and also like some some more mellow parts a la the cranberry. So it fits the soundtrack of this film perfectly. But it's the album Absolution by Riverbee. I love this band and like they deserve a much larger platform. Um, the whole album's great. I'm a big fan of like Birth by Sleep, Baseless, The Moon, and Imagine the Ending. But like the the lead singer's name is August. They are so gruff and talented and are like one of my favorite singers out there doing it right now because just there's so much oomph behind their voice and I'm a <laughs> huge fan. And I would love it if more people would listen to this album, Ebby, and show them some love. Beautiful. So y'all have your mission. Hashtag justice for the next Karate Kid. <laughs> Hashtag listen to River B. Yes. <laughs> All right, friends. We will see you next week. Thank you as always for listening. And don't forget, save that last dance for us.
Bye. Bye. Fighting not good, but if must fight, win. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.